shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio presents. This is Master Obi Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. There's something kind of poetic about talking about Rebels on Rebel Force Radio. I don't know, did we know something or what? I think we were, um, I think we were ahead of our time a year or so ago. But uh, we are back right here on Rebel Force Radio talking about... Star Wars Rebels, the new exciting animated series from our friends Dave Filoni and company. And uh, this is it. The first episode, technically the first episode. Season 1, Episode 1, Droids in Distress. Here on Rebels Declassified. And uh, we got a great all-star panel this week to talk about it and really kick off the season properly, starting with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. You know what, Jason? I think this is actually considered, legally considered to be the third episode of season one. The first episode is comprised of the four shorts all together. And then the second episode is the mini movie Spark of Rebellion. By the way, I am officially calling that a mini movie from now on because it's being referred to as a movie, but it's only 43 minutes long. So I'm calling That's it. It's not a, even like Pixar length. Yeah. So we're just going to call it a mini movie. Uh-huh. And then this would be the third episode of season one, Droids in Distress. But I'm looking at StarWars.com, and they say Star Wars Rebels Season 1, Episode 1. Oh, well, stress. then there you go. Then let's just do it that way. All let's right. just do it the way StarWars.com does it then. Okay. Because I've been hearing mixed things about that. What, about StarWars.com? Oh, no, 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 not necessarily. But, uh, <laughs> You're talking about the, the numbering of the episodes. Yeah, 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 the way they've sequenced this season. Because it's a little confusing. And um, yeah. I don't know about you, Jason, but I've heard that this season, season one of Star Wars Rebels, is going to run 16 episodes. So that's kind of even a compressed season you right know, there. I wondered, and I'll tell you, I was so unbelievably excited when i realized that they were offering rebels on itunes Mm -hmm. i was so relieved i as soon as it came available i subscribed or or i bought the season pass and uh it was only like 24 bucks and previous seasons of the clone wars would be 45 and uh you know they were a full 22 episode um season so i think you're right jim i i kind of had a suspicion that it might be a a shorter season um, with that season pass, do you also get Spark of Rebellion? No, that was a separate purchase. Spark uh-huh. of Rebellion was was marketed on the iTunes uh, store as a separate thing, like uh, you know they're offering it on DVD. Now the version that I have does not have the Darth Vader cameo, which will uh, I guess we'll have to do like a, a redux on our commentary. Well, at the very least, we'll talk about it on the weekly yeah, we'll show. Have to talk about it, yeah, yeah. But there's uh, they announced that uh, Darth Vader is going to have a cameo in the ABC broadcast, primetime broadcast of Spark of Rebellion. 
on October 26th here in the United States. And um, holy cow, hold on to your hats, but James Earl Jones reprising his role. I mean, how cool is that? That's just beyond anything I would have ever thought. I thought it'd be that Chad Vader guy. Yeah, me too, Matt Sloan. And he does a fine job, but there's no comparison for the original. Do you think they had to fly to Greece to get this one like they did in episode three? Probably not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, let's get to our our panel. Uh, What a great group of guys we have here. Um, In fact, it's just it's perfect timing because uh, both these fellows have a wonderful new project that we'll talk very briefly about uh, before we get into the action. But if you want to hear more about that project, you got to listen to the weekly show because we're going to have them on and they'll talk more in depth. But uh, first of all, you know him as the director of Hughes, the force. And now uh, he's behind the scenes there at the Comlink, which is a brand new uh, web team. Well, it's like a TV show. It's an internet TV show, and it's on the uh, CSMOD YouTube channel. That's that's Kevin Smith's YouTube channel. Uh, J.C. Reifenberg joining hey, us. Hey, hey. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Good to have you back on Rebel Force Radio. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a real long time. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a real long time. Like, what, two weeks? <laughs> well, that was like kind of a little mini, mini thing. I feel like this is a real... You know, that was like a preview show. Jim, it's not real unless I'm on the show. Yeah, yeah that's true. Right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Just I ask ser- Filoni. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I serve the appetizers. Jason serves the meal. <laughs> <laughs> Small but mighty. No. Um, yeah. Great to have you back, JC. And also, you brought with you a good friend of ours. He's from Sony PlayStation, and uh, he is host of Star Wars Oxygen on the Rebel Force uh, Radio podcast feed. He's also the host of the new internet TV show, The Comlink, all about Star Wars on the Kevin Smith CSMOD YouTube channel. And most importantly, he's Han Solo, like officially Han Solo in Star Wars Commander, the uh, the new game out from, uh, from Lucasfilm. It's uh, just amazing to have him back and so great to see good things happen to great people David W. Collins joining us. David, nice to have you. Hey, guys. It's so nice to be on the show again, talking about Star Wars Rebels. I can't wait. Yeah. You've been our Han Solo for a long time, David. That's right. This is where it all started. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. I think. I think. It really is. It really is because uh, you guys asked me to write something. Hey, write a holiday song. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll... Maybe I'll wake up one morning and (laughs) write a Han Solo song. And it just kind of worked itself out. Well, you're also a very talented. You're you're such a you're like a renaissance man. You're multi-talented, and you are a, a songwriter, and you you're a crooner too. And that's near and dear to my own heart. So one of these days, David, you and I, we're gonna croon, baby. A little yeah. Sammy and Frank, me and my shadow action, something like that. <laughs> Perfect celebration, Anaheim, April sixteenth through nineteenth. <laughs> it's eight. <laughs> If, if, Can you if, imagine if, us if, doing a lounge act, the two of us? That'd be great. The two I, of you. Jimmy hey, Matt Sam could be our Frank. Dean Martin. Yes, Sammy and Frank can eat a Dean. And I could definitely fill those shoes as long as I ain't singing. Right. Oh, all right, guys, this is, uh, this is amazing. I, I got to tell you, I, as soon as I watched this episode, I, uh, I sent an email out to uh, my Jedi brethren, and I said, this episode gave me goosebumps. I, I just am absolutely in love with this series already. I'm in love with these characters. I'm totally in the tank. I'm totally in the tank. I just love the writing. I love the humor. I love the uh, interaction between the characters. You know, Clone Wars 
when it was hitting on all cylinders, it was tremendous. But I always felt that the humor was was forced a lot of times. I felt that um, they were trying a little bit too hard to sound Star Warsy. And it's a very, it's a tough, you know, talk to any of the guys that actually write Star Wars. There's very few that do it well. Uh, Tim Zahn is, uh, is one who does extremely well. And we had him on um, our program years ago. And he talk, talked about how he figured out how to write these characters. Because when he would go on long trips with the family, he would play the audio of the movies. Back before you, you know, you had those big minivans with the pull-down screens and all that stuff. He would play the audio and those lines and that dialogue was so instilled in his head. But I just think it's something that you can't force. And uh, for whatever reason, I just feel like they nail it on this show already. I just, everything seems very natural. It just seems to fit in the Star Wars universe. Well, the Um, the situation that our main characters are in is is a situation that promotes a fast-paced environment Mm -hmm. their -hmm. surroundings are all flying by them really fast because they're the ones who are on on, they're on the run and so that adrenaline that gets infused into their activities then comes through in the dialogue i think and it makes the characters much more fun to write for should you be a writer on the show yeah uh, david uh Sam Whitwer, a good friend of yours and a friend of ours on the program, he really uh, gets in under the hood about the pacing of Star Wars. And he likens it to kind of uh, classic Hollywood films from the 40s. And that yeah, really talks like this, like they're from the 40s. Yeah, r- right, right. Um, <laughs> but, he, t- you know, it's 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 not that easy. Right. I mean, this show, for whatever reason, I can't put my finger on it, just feels like it's really paced like Star Wars, but as Jimmy says, it's, the stakes are different than they were in the Clone Wars. Well, there's a formula that George talks about, you know, and and comedy is a part of that formula. Uh, to your point about the Clone Wars, I mean, there was definitely comedy in the Clone Wars, but the classic trilogy had that snappiness, you know, it had that uh, that kind of roguish charm of Han Solo, the innocence of Luke Skywalker, the quick wit of Princess Leia, and you kind of get that with the crew of the Ghost. You know, I mean, these these characters were really drawn to work as an ensemble. You know, I mean, the thing about the Clone Wars and actually the great thing about the Clone Wars, in my opinion, is that it's massive. You're on all these different planets all over the galaxy, you know, in the Outer Rim and in, the you know, in the core worlds and Coruscant and all that. This is about this crew and this crew has to work well together. Well, if they do work well together, then the dialogue is just going to be really snappy and awesome because, it's a well-balanced set of personalities, you know, kind of like uh, Firefly or the Millennium Falcon in Episode 4. Right, right. Uh, JC, uh, how is this so far? And we haven't had a chance to, to – I haven't had a chance at least to, to talk to you about this. I know it's very early. We're talking about Episode 1, but as Jimmy pointed out, we've seen the shorts, we've seen the, the mini-movie, and now this episode. Um, how's this feel to you in terms of uh, fitting into the Star Wars universe that – you know, JC's Star Wars universe. You know, at at first, I I think like a lot of people came into it with a little hesitation because of how much I love the Clone Wars and uh, and how much I just wanted to see that finish. Um, the movie I was there was a lot about the the mini movie that I loved and a lot about the mini movie that I I didn't care for that much. I think this episode uh, and when I was on the show couple weeks back talking to jimmy mac about it i said i think i think you need to give it a couple weeks and really let this settle in and i think this this episode 
uh, took it kind of to the next level for me, you know, starting to win me over the characters I didn't like so much in the in the movie. I started to like a little bit more. Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 certainly help, you know, uh, That's make always it feel good. like Star Wars. And uh, yeah, I loved all the little cameos in <laughs> this episode. Like you had the uh, Macquarie C-3PO in the in the in the star tour speeder basically right you know captain uh rex from the old star tours i thought was really cool um you know at the ending i thought that was amazing uh and really like it was funny and it's weird to say this but uh the ending reminded me of uh troops a little bit it was like this little window into how something little happened Ah, that changes right, the galaxy. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Um, and uh, so, you know, I uh, slowly but surely I'm getting on that Rebels train. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Well, this episode, um, you know, they're all short. They're 22 minutes, but uh, there was a lot, I think, packed into this episode. A lot of good uh, character uh, uh, information. What what makes these these people tick, and then just just great interaction between uh, the characters and getting to know them sort of as a as a family unit. I mean, Harris said we're we're kind of like a family, or is it Sabine? I think said yeah, it was Sabine who said we're kind of like a family to Ezra in that in the episode. But so it kicks off, and um, Jim, we get a sense, you know, we we, we um, in the original trilogy we saw rebels in action. You know, I mean, they were all working together take down the empire but we never really saw kind of the day-to-day life of you know living hand to mouth and when we meet these guys uh they've got a decision to make they got to hold their nose and do a job to make some money so that they can keep you know uh rebelling (laughs) keep on rebelling (laughs) yeah they they have to fund their rebelling and um you know that's just a sign of the times you got to do what you got to do and you know, tough situations call for even tougher decisions uh, sometimes. And uh, that's when you have to balance that line of morality and ethics. And uh, they realize that that's what they're doing. But they also realize that this Visago character that they deal with is someone they actually can trust as far as business goes, at least as of this point. Uh, I don't know how much they can trust him, but at least they know he's reliable enough to do business with for the most part. He does screw them over in this episode. I, I do want to point that out. How do you blame him? But uh, yes, exactly. Again, tough situations <laughs> call for yeah. tough decisions. And yeah, he had to get out of there. And, and, and Visago himself re- reminds me a lot of Hondo Onaka and just yes. his, yeah, his overall demeanor, his approach toward business. You know, sure, he's doing a lot of underworld things. But to him, it's all just part of the profession. And uh, Visago has that layer of professionalism about him, much like Hondo Onaka always did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all it's all about business and all about business. And he he uh, he likes Ezra because Ezra mm-hmm. has that. He even so, sounds a little bit like um, Hondo. He does. He does. Different By the way, I would love to see Hondo show up in the sequel trilogy played by Antonio Banderas. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that, that's a bit of casting right there. Yeah, brilliant, well, right? It, maybe he'll show up in Rebels, though. That's not too yeah. far-fetched. But how would you have, can you imagine uh, him and uh, and Vinzago, both yes. of them together in the same place? Well, maybe they can, you know, start warring with each other, like a couple of mafia families would. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, brothers from another mother. 
so <laughs> so we do it's not it's not too long and and um david this plot is is so well thought out what they pull off on the uh on the on the transport um with the uh with the aqualish uh arms dealer uh and um and the uh imperial uh minister i guess it is um right. You really get a sense that they've got some uh, pretty good, maybe eyes and ears with what's going on within the empire. I mean, you would you would almost have to have some kind of insider information to pull something like this off. I mean, it made me wonder just how connected they might be. Yeah, I mean, I love all the the cross cameos and um, all of the the writing in this episode. And what's really interesting is that that uh, was that. Was that supposed to be Pondo Baba? I feel like she actually said Pondo Baba at one point. No, his name is Amdo Wabo. Oh, so it just sounded like Habla Habla. I think all the Aqualishes have those names. They, they, they have names kind of like they talk. <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to point out yeah. is that uh, that character, as well as it sounds like just kind of the, the serene voice as you board the transport, and Zeb and Visago to my ear, all sounded like they were all voiced by Steve Bloom, which is interesting, especially in the last scene when you've got Visago and you've got Zeb. And I just felt like this was really Steve Bloom's episode overall to get back to the writing because yeah. you learn so much more about Zeb's character, especially um, everything that happened on his home planet, everything that happened with his people and those disruptors, and then that really wonderful uh, fight that he has with Agent Callus. By the way, Agent Callus with his Magneto helmet, did anybody notice that when he has it on and has it off, his sideburns are in the shape of his helmet. <laughs> yeah, he, he, sh- he actually has <laughs> he like, this is my underlayer just to keep my helmet from chafing. Or, yeah, he actually shaves with the helmet on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like a bowl cut. This is my helmet. <laughs> um, but no, great yeah. episode, great writing. And Paul Rubens he, making a, an appearance again from Star Tours. You know, Pee Wee Herman himself as Rex. It's just... And, and the music, and uh, I loved how the 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 walkers kind of had these like gecko eyes. Did you guys notice that no, the design I, of the walkers had these kind of like bulbous gecko-looking eyes on the sides, and just the design stuff, the Macquarie, the everything. I loved that Visago was a Deveronian. I just the whole thing. I just felt re- I thought felt really episode four-ish in classic trilogy, mm. and. I just loved it. Yeah, indeed, it it it, it sure did. The um the the Paul Rubens cameo was just was beautiful. I I was throughout the episode or you know throughout that sequence uh, before it was confirmed before I saw it confirmed on StarWars.com. I was like, is it? I mean, it sounds closer. Is it somebody doing Rubens? I mean, um, but it was uh, just such a nice little nod to the to the original uh, Star Tours, and you know, if anything else, Rebels put Pee Wee Herman back in Star Wars. So what's not to love? <laughs> <laughs> what's 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 not to love about that? Prepare but, to make um, the jump to light speed. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a magic word for this uh, rebels declassified? Yeah, it's <laughs> Amdawabo. <laughs> um, so, speaking of 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 Amdo uh, Amda Wabo JC, <laughs> um, we've got a situation here where the Empire. Uh, the mighty empire that controls everything is having to secure these illegal weapons through a shady arms deal. 
So what's this? What's the Almighty Empire doing dealing with these thugs? If they have well, you, you know, know all that power, you know what I thought is uh, you know the Imperial Senate still has power, a lot of power according to General Taggy or Maudie from Episode Four in the Death Star yeah. when Palpatine dissolves the Senate. Yes, he says they will not so, sit still for this. Yeah, so so they're not sitting still. It, you know, in in during Rebels. I would think that at least, uh, you know, members of the Imperial Command still feared the Senate. And obviously these weapons were used to kill all, basically wipe out a species almost, right? right? So, you know, they can't just be dealing with these weapons of mass destruction out in the open. They kind of have to keep it on the down low. Yeah, I mean, there were laws apparently passed against these these ion disruptors, and it becomes obviously very personal for 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 Zeb. But I just I found it very interesting that you know the the lengths that they have to go through, even though they're you know clearly in command. And Jim, it makes me wonder. I mean, we see the treatment uh, on Lothal that the that the Imperials put. You know the, the the denizens there of uh, of, of Lothal through. Um, well, I mean, what's the what's the PR machine? How are they spinning this? I mean, what kind of um, do you think to the average citizen of the galaxy they realize that they're living under tyranny, or do they think it's just still that benevolent older man who was duped by the Jedi? What you're looking at here is the Empire starting to sink its talons into the universe on a whole, or the galaxy on a whole, and they do it through these planets that can't really put up a fight against them. You know, the 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 uh, it's like shooting a fish in a barrel for the Empire. You know, as they establish this reign of terror, so they keep the little guy down on the planet Lothal. And the rest of the galaxy is kept relatively ignorant of it because they oppress freedom of speech, communication, you name it. They don't let the word get out about the atrocities happening at Lothal. So uh, that's primarily why I think the Empire can get away with it. Also, nobody can rise up and put up a fight against the Empire because they're just so massive and big at this time, and the rebellion itself is small, scattered, and disorganized. Right. I mean, you look at dictators in our own, in our own world, and uh, you know, they're, they're, there's always people ready to cheer for them in front of the cameras. You know, and, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, all done, it's all done for the... It's all done for the media and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of feel like that's probably where a lot of these guys are. Um, but it is it is interesting to think about the relationship between the Senate and uh, Palpatine and you know the Imperial commanders and all of that. It's it's clearly two different agendas. There is, um, but see, the oppression is even sinking its talons into the Senate itself, where the corruption that we saw in the prequels has now just run completely amok. And along with that oppression comes intimidation from Palpatine and anyone who wants to argue with him. Well, you uh, know, the other thing is, is looking at episode four, and if uh, particularly at the big cut scenes where he's talking to Luke, you know, he's they talk about, oh, I don't think the Empire would even care about the outer rim out here in Tatooine. So, you know, we are like Jimmy Max said, by episode four, they haven't even started 
really sinking their talons into those outer, outer rim planets like Tatooine. I mean, Luke still wants to join the Imperial Academy. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, he, oh, it's not like I like the Empire. I hate it, is what he says. But he's still whining about going to the Academy for the first part of the movie. So he doesn't like the Empire, but he'll still go and go to the Academy and enlist. You know, I think that even up until episode four, they're still duping these smaller planets. And, and the yeah. PR machine is really cranking. And hopefully we see that all the way through the Rebels show up until the time of episode four. You know, regardless yeah, of you what... You can almost see the, you know, we want you, Uncle Sam type image, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, the, Empire, the Empire stems out of um, you know, eliminating the Jedi terrorist threat. Right. I mean, here here Palpatine was trying to protect the worlds and, and bring unity and peace. Right. He uses the word peace, which is really interesting. But he creates a false enemy in order to, buy, you know, gather everyone together. So he, he's in power. So stormtroopers are good guys unless you're on the ground and you're seeing them bullying people in the marketplace or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, for, you know, as far as like the Holonet feed or anything that anybody knows, if they don't have direct contact and a bad experience directly, the Empire is keeping everyone safe, finally, from these rebel insurgents and from the Jedi who were too haughty and powerful anyway, you know, and, and who do they think they are? And by the way, you know, they try to thwart our war effort, mm. you know, on for years, you know, against the separatists who invaded that poor little planet of Naboo. I mean, you know, and this senator from Naboo rises to power. What a great story that is. You know, yeah. there is justice in the galaxy. I believe in the Senate. I believe in the Empire. This is how liberty dies with thunderous applause, right? So, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't really know, to JC's point, especially in the Outer Rim, when you're just excited to actually have contact with some of these other uh, larger worlds. But what is your contact mainly? It's, you know, freighters and, you know, things coming in and not really a lot of off-world uh, visitors. I don't know. Well, David, let me ask you about the inclusion of uh, 3PO and R2. I mean, obviously, as fans, that's something that we, uh, we love to see. Um, it's, it's happening right out of the gate. Episode one, season one. Do you think that this is, is this going to be, you know, a cameo of the week type situation? Or do you feel that they really did, uh, serve, uh, you know, the greater purpose in terms of, uh, moving this story along and connecting it to the larger universe? I, I love that. 3PO was the one that called Agent Callus, first of all. I love that. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have any allegiance to these people. As far as he knows, he's like, I just want to get back to my, my uh, master, Captain Antilles, and, you know, Bail Organa or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I was kidnapped. Yeah. Guys, I was kidnapped. So I'm going to call for help because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's right? the pr- it's the protocol. It's the protocol. Yeah. And he's a protocol droid. Whereas R2 actually gets it. It's like, oh, these weapons are bad. Let me jump in. And uh, I love that R2 and Chopper were in an episode together, and you could see that they were very different. Chopper's really grown on me, by the way. I love how he's just, like, poking Ezra in the ship on the shoulder, like, hey, hey, yeah. hey. <laughs> hey, and, and the look on Ezra's face, that's a great moment. It is. It is. And I, I Jim, you, I think you speculated uh, before you believe that Chopper is voiced by Dave Filoni, I've been listening, and uh, I I think you're right. Yeah, the, in the credits, I was really curious to see who was going to get credited for the voice, and of course, they pulled the cop out. They said, you know, vo- uh, voice of Chopper himself. You know, come on. <laughs> 
myself. What they have to do is have someone ask Chopper a question and have Chopper just go. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you guys. Yes, you guys don't want to answer that. I think it is. It's, it's but it's it's good. It's good distortion. So yeah, the the three PO and R two. Um, they. I, but I'm I'm wondering, JC, when you look at the trajectory of the episode, um, by the end of it, I had myself, you know, questioning whether or not, uh, at least R two was was in on all this. Oh yeah, he was. I'm sorry. Was, I don't mean oh, yeah. JC was was R two on a reconnaissance mission. From Bail Organa to check out what's going on on Lothal? Oh, totally. 100%. I think think it was mirroring what you saw in Episode 4 when Leia kind of sent him on the same mission. You know, Episode 4, R2's like, I got this. I did it for your your adopted father years ago. You Ah, know, I got this. I can find Kenobi. Because I did it back in the day with these other Jedi and this rebel. I got this. Don't worry, Leia. Um, I think he totally did. And, and I mean, to that end, like what awesome imagery at the end um, and how what a cool way to tie it into everything that came before and everything that came comes next. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that that one scene bridges the end of episode three to the beginning of episode four, really. If yeah, I, yeah, it does. It does. It's very, very powerful and uh, certainly brought the hairs up on the the back of my neck and uh when when I when I saw it I I don't want to I don't want to get there quite yet um but it's it, it's it's an amazing moment but clearly they still don't trust 3PO No of course not would no. you <laughs> I mean would you well, 3PO, 3PO had his memory erased right so 3PO is basically like a child he doesn't remember any of this stuff but R2 knows Everything. everything and he's like the only one that knows everything and of course no one no one listens to him but to jc's point he is the most clued in character in in that episode because he lived through it all from episode one to through three you know he 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 knows everything in his databank and even well, when he, he was goes there down- when anakin fell to the dark side i mean he was there yeah. on mustafar there for everything yeah, his memory was, was mm-hmm. not wiped yeah. have the protocol droids memory wiped <laughs> right. mm-hmm. can no. you imagine if you could only speak in beeps and boots and electronics <laughs> luke and you, you know luke luke would be like oh my god i kissed my sister well you know like r2 if you could just fill him in on everything he's <laughs> horrified by the whole thing but but r2 i mean you know george always said r2 was his favorite character r2 was the smartest one r2 was you know, was it was was the it was the Swiss Army knife of Star Wars? He was, you know, this this great utility character. As far as droids in distress goes, and the question was R two in on it, that is revealed in some dialogue aboard the Star Tours vessel when they're getting shuffled into the back cabin, and three PO gets insulted because he gets referred to as an astromech. And as they're walking back there, R two bleeps something, and three PO says. Secret mission, what mission? You know, it's echoing what he was saying in A New Hope. But that's what R2 was referring. I did not catch that. Does he say that? Mm-hmm. He does say that. Yeah. And so he's well. talking specifically about the mission Bail Organa put him yes. on yeah, to go right. disrupt this this arms deal. That's what R2 was doing on this trip the whole time. However, you know, just to jump to the end, Bale was interested in these these rebels because he recognized 
a Jedi trait in Canaan by what Canaan was saying. Canaan was sort of revealing himself by quoting scripture from the Jedi Bible or no, whatever was, he was it doing. Was, it was Baal. It was, it was Baal, Baal that, that was quoting the scripture. Oh, okay. So you know what? He must have been As sort like of a test. Yes, to see how he would react. Yes, that's right. That's on. right. Yeah. So he wanted to. He was he was picking up some sort of Jedi ness out of Canaan, uh, and I think he realized <laughs> what was going on there. So yeah, he wanted to dip his toe into the water, and then once he was alone with R two, and you know, I mean. Let's just say that they're aboard the Tanta V4 or the Rebel Blockade Runner. Let's not bring up the Sundered Heart in this conversation at all. <laughs> because yeah, I always want to think that's the white hallway that we were first introduced to R2 and 3PO in A New Hope. I, I want to think that that's the same hallway. You know, it's, it's like going on a historical yeah, expedition. You want to go back to the real place. And so Bale's there, and then he... You know, wants to start fishing around to see what R2 recorded on Kanan and the crew. So is this going to be a plot line we're going to see thread through the rest of the season? Will Bale occasionally be coming up to aid these rebels and help them out? Because now he's onto them. Now he knows what they're all about. And they're into the same kind of thing he's into. So now we're starting to well, see but it. I mean, how, but but. But what was – okay, but let's talk about what was the mission. Was the mission, as as you said, Jim – uh, was it to disrupt the arms deal or was it to or was Bail Organa hearing about some of these things happening on Lothal? Well, you know, that could be true, but it was such a chance meeting for these people to hook up together. You know, it was just a chance uh-huh. meeting on board public transportation. you might say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the force works in strange ways. But, um, yeah, maybe Bale had been hearing about this kind of thing. I'm sure he's got his ear to the ground as far as rebel uprising happening throughout the galaxy. I'm sure he uses his role as a senator to gather information about that kind of thing. So, yeah, he might have been thinking, yeah, that Lothal system is a hotbed of activity. And uh, there was an opportunity there to stop this arms deal. And so he sent R2 on that mission specifically to do that. But it was the chance meeting with the rebels that really interested Bale the most. Right. It was R2 that was pushing 3PO on board uh, uh, the ghost to, you know, I think R2 realized that these these actually were they were going to be a lot safer in the hands of the crew of the ghosts than they were going to be in the, the hands of the empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, and, and also recognizing the fact that the crew of the ghosts is probably easier to negotiate with when it comes to getting R2 and 3PO returned back to Bail Organa. So R2 can actually complete his mission. And, um, and so I, I think they realize, you know, well, these people, they obviously need the money so we can talk them into flying us probably anywhere. Uh, David, we hear Ezra in this episode uh, lamenting the fact that he's, you know, Kanan hasn't made good on his promise to train him as a Jedi. And I was actually thinking, you know, um, is he too old? I mean, what, what, we, we, we hear this, you know, Yoda says that Luke is too old and um, Yoda has also, you know, reservations about um, uh, about Anakin and, you know, in, in his upbringing. I mean... Are are we looking at a situation where, you know, is, is Ezra already damaged goods? Is that perhaps part of uh, Kanan's reluctance to, to train him? Maybe. I mean, we first catch a glimpse of Kanan's sense of Ezra's power in the very, very beginning of Spark of the Rebellion, the mini-movie, as, as Jimmy Mack calls it. 
And that obviously is going to be a dynamic that is throughout the entire series. It's brought up at the very beginning. It's part of the core exposition of the group. So Ezra is a powerful force sensitive. And yes, he's older. And whether it's legacy canon or official canon, um, there are all kinds of stories in the Star Wars galaxy about being too old for training and all of that. I mean, I remember the Kevin Anderson books covering it. And Yoda says it probably because of what happened to, happened to Anakin. You know, usually they're taken earlier than when Anakin was taken. Right. And taking all his these, babies. Yeah. They, all this attachment to his mother. Luke, of course, being too old. But Desperate times calls for desperate measures. That's what Obi-Wan did, you know, with Luke. And that's certainly what's going to happen here. And, of course, in this episode, we see Kanan, you know, push it away. No, I'm not going to train you until Ezra saves the day in a fit of raw emotion. Right. And he gives that force push to Callus and saves Zeb. Right. And uh, out of anger, out of anger, anger and fear. You've got to train that because if you don't. Bad things can happen, right? So it's kind of a, it's almost irrelevant if he's old. Yes, he's too old to answer your question, but it doesn't matter. We have to tra- he has to train because he's got all this force power. He's in situations where he's going to con- increasingly rely on it. He's been exposed to Kanan, right? You know, who mm-hmm. is a Jedi. So it's, it's a force play. You know, it's got to come into, into play here. And, and it does echo Luke Skywalker. That's one of the strengths of the show, right? It's that theme of, finding your, your power and what i loved about spark of rebellion in general is that ezra had to make a moral choice to fight back and not be afraid right, right? i'm not afraid and uh i think that that is going to continue and and uh it's a far more interesting show if they train him let's just be honest oh, well right of course no i'm not gonna train you season uh, seven you know they never trained him I never trained Ezra. The <laughs> job as a as a as a busboy. Right, you're right. I, yeah, I, it's very very short. Yeah, but I mean they've got to train him, right? Otherwise, yeah, bad things can happen, and and uh, and and the anger could take over very right. easily. Got to they got to contain it as much as they've got to as they've got to train it. Um, it's a small detail, uh, JC, but I get the sense just in some of the dialogue that Hera's really kind of pushing. Um, Kanan along on this. I mean, she's, you, you know, there's, you hear some, um, what seems to be some off screen conversation and, you know, oh, we'll talk, yes, we will talk about it again, love. And um, sh- what, what do you think she's seeing? And um, how do you think she figures into all this in terms of, you know, what, her insistence on uh, getting Ezra and Kanan together? It seems like she's really been pushing them. You know, if uh, she also is the pilot of the ship that has no money, no fuel, no supplies. I mean, if uh, I'm, one possible angle, I guess, could just be that she is uh, worried about surviving. And two Jedi are better than one, right? Mm. And this little kid can help them. Uh, I also think that, you know, when it comes to uh, kind of the moral compass of the show, that's kind of Hera. You know, Ezra yeah. is in this change period. Uh, I, I personally think that Kanan has a, a checkered past with the, the Jedi. I just get that sense that maybe he didn't finish his training. Maybe he, was, he left or he was kicked out or something. And uh, I guess we're going to find out, by the way. There's a, there's a comic book that's been announced. And I think it's just uh, it's a miniseries that's going to tell the backstory of, of Kanan. So we are going to find out. Yeah, but I, and I think that would be super interesting if that's the case. Zeb obviously is kind of like the big, you know, gruff 
cynic of the group. And I think Harris kind of the one who is kind of always has the right answer, always knows the way to go. She's got compassion. She's good in a fight. She kind of has all the best qualities around her. So, uh, and I think she probably has been with Kanan the longest. So he probably listens to her. Mm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you look at it like Sabine says, they're like a family. I mean, Hera's sort of the mother, in a sense, of the, of the group. And, I feel uh, like she's, she's kind of the mother, and Kanan's like, kind of like the Uncle Jesse from Full House or something, <laughs> you know? Like, he's kind of the There's dad. There's no dad. Really no, where's the dad? You know, he's a little bit... He's, right, he's, he's reluctant kind of this, dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he takes down his ponytail, is there an Uncle Jesse mullet there? Oh, of course there is. Of course there is. We can only dream. And occasionally he jams with the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, uh, Jim. Omnibox. <laughs> we see. Uh, we see in this episode, just like we did in Spark of Rebellion, we see a lot of, a lot of stormtroopers. We see, see Zeb uh, busting their heads, and there was a, there was a bit of a. Um, I can't. I guess can't call it really an announcement there, but there was a pretty significant clarification. Posted at StarWars.com as part of their uh, their Rebels. Uh, what, what, what do they What do they call that? That's uh, Rebels Recon. Rebels Recon. Yes, and they have Pablo Hidalgo on the record there saying that by the time we get to the events of Rebels, uh, and and of course Episode Four, there are no more clones in the service of the Empire as troopers. They are all unique humanoids does that surprise you no it really doesn't not from the information that has been released to us in the past and i seem to remember about a year ago at this time new york comic-con to be specific this actually came up and pablo addressed it then and said that for the most part what we're going to be seeing in rebels are enlisted men and women who are doing their patriotic duty and fighting for the side of law and order and empire and uh, we knew that the clones were grown at an accelerated growth rate uh, essentially double that of a normal person so a 10 year old would be a 20 year old if he was a clone so just by doing the simple math you remove yourself you know a solid 20 years from the clone wars you're dealing with Individuals who are in their 60s and 70s and beyond the age for effective fighting. So that doesn't come to me as a surprise at all. However, I always thought when we were watching Attack of the Clones, we were actually seeing the origin of the Stormtrooper there. And that always led me to assume that stormtroopers were clones. That the cloning facilities on Kamino were overthrown by the Empire and used for imperial benefit. And stormtroopers could be just pumped out at a record pace, thus having an everlasting supply of soldiers to send out all over the universe and oppress the general population. And it also made them less than human, which took away any sort of compassion I might have for a stormtrooper who is doing that kind of thing. I'm not talking about the clone troopers from the, the Clone Wars either, because those actually were individuals with personality who we grow we grew to like because they did heroic things. 
I always felt like the programming of the cloned stormtroopers in the golden age of the Empire would be that of just complete um, subservience, um, no free will, no free thinking, just following orders, because the Empire is all about order. And that made more sense to me when you, you talk about compiling an an army for the empire because the empire's business is all about oppression and taking away your free will and taking away your basic human rights. That's what the empire is all about. So you'd think they'd have an army that was completely soulless, but now we find out that these are enlisted people. So they're just regular people off the streets of Lothal wearing stormtrooper gear and doing terrible things to their neighbors, essentially, is the message I'm getting from Star Wars Rebels. How would the population, the general population, people who you can enlist into your army, how did their just normal thought process get sort of twisted by the Empire? Is that the power well, of the dark side I, across the galaxy that it affects anyone? Well, look at Nazi anyone? Germany. I mean, look at – Yeah. That's, that's an yeah. obvious example. Yeah, I was going to say that I don't think that it's local forces. I think it's more like uh, military forces. You have to go off to the Imperial Academy. You have to basically enlist, right? Or you're drafted, right? You know, or it's one of those things that just becomes part of law is that you have to serve a certain amount of time. Um, I'd be curious to know if there is sort of an official word on that. Do people have to join the Academy, you know, or is it? But again, you know, it's exciting. It's adventure. You get to go off to distant worlds. You get to be part of something bigger than yourself. The uh, the propaganda machine, right? So you, you're, you're probably not from Lothal if you're stationed on Lothal, kind of like, you know, in Kevin Rubio's troops. I can, we consider this the ass end of space, you know, are they, are they, they're not from Tatooine, right? They're just out there uh, doing a tour of duty you know they got station they got the but, crap state but i don't know i mean jim i don't want to i don't want to speak for you but i i think what you are saying is you know not necessarily literally but these are uh we won't say kids but these are people like uh, you know folks you would find exactly fault they're normal average people um that are forced to treat their fellow citizens of the galaxy uh roughly and you know cruelly and and all of that i think that the that the you know the real world comparison that we can have and of course that's we know that uh, the roman empire and 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 nazism uh during world war ii inspired a lot of uh what george you know i mean the, just the the name stormtrooper is comes from yeah i mean thanks for uh, stepping in on it because you know you're right jason i was i was thinking more big picture like you know the the saying you know treat your neighbor as you would wish to be treated yourself. It doesn't literally mean the guy who lives next door to you. It means every person you share this planet with. And that's kind of like the feel I get from knowing that just regular people have gone through the academy, enlisted, you know, gone through all the training and everything, and now they serve the emperor. And they're going into normal neighborhoods, you know, probably similar to what they grew up in and just wreaking havoc, you know, in essence, they're they're stripping away their own rights and mm-hmm. shooting themselves in the, in the foot. But of course, the Nazi Germany thing is is a definite correlation that Lucas had been making between the Empire, you know, and uh, the, the horrible history of Nazi Germany going back to you know Star Wars: A New Hope. the The whole concept of the Empire is is firmly steeped in the history of Nazi Germany. So, um, so I, I get that. I get that. But. Uh, 
but I was much more accepting of it when it was clones filling that white armor. Yeah, I, 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 I think that I'm glad that they finally definitively answer. I, I don't recall uh, Pablo making this same statement last year. I, I'm, I'm sure he did. But I, I remember even as going back to Celebration 3, um, George talking about there being kind of, you know, a, a mixture uh, by the time you get to the original trilogy, some were clones, some were new recruits because uh, they weren't able to get the clones out fast enough. I mean, I think it, there was always a little bit of gray with with George. I don't think it was ever quite so so absolute, but they're definitely uh, cleaning, clearing the deck. But uh, JC, the, the stormtrooper is not the only thing that they borrow from Nazism and in our own kind of nasty history as human beings on this planet but also the whole idea of genocide we realize we find out that zeb uh his home planet of lasalle was uh completely wiped out by um callus and the empire and um all of the lasats uh any of it that survived are off world and, uh, you know, we're going to find out, I think, that each one of these characters has a major axe to grind with, uh, uh, with the Empire. But clearly, Zeb, uh, it makes a lot of sense why he likes clunking those, uh, those buckets together like he does. Yeah, and I mean, I, let me just put it out there. He's my favorite character on the show, hands down. Um, anytime he's on screen, I'm, I'm like, excited. And, uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think it's interesting. He obviously was like kind of the, the Macquarie Chewbacca. Chewbacca. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you got just such great insight into kind of why he is the way he is in this episode, why he doesn't probably trust Ezra, why he, you know, is happy to let him, you know, go behind, you know, leave him behind in the, uh, in the mini movie. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got a big mission. His mission is uh, revenge, quite possibly. And you yeah, can't let yeah. some kid get in the way. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, he... I, I guess it makes sense also when you look at the way he can fight, when you look at how fiercely loyal he is to his other crew people, you know, that species is going to pose a major threat to the empire and ah, i also yeah very selective know, right and who they wipe out mm-hmm. and this may be dabbling into the uh former expanded universe a little bit but you know the empire was sexist they were speciesist you know it's <laughs> all men all you know aliens are bad and that's part of what made the rebel alliance so cool it's like oh you got admiral akbar the fish guy you got prune face over here um, you know, it was diversity in the Rebel Alliance helped them win the Galactic Civil War. You know, this is the beginning of the Empire being like, we need all males to run this joint, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that goes back to, like you said, the genocide, but it's also kind of the racist, speciesist uh, nature of the Empire that we see later on. Yeah, for sure. For sure, and and I would I would I would get the sense that where you know you you might look at Zeb and kind of assume that he 
and his species would be barbaric brutes, but what you find out is they're actually quite sophisticated. Um, and, and not to say, you know, uh, David, that Wookiees are not. They very well may be. Um, but the Wookiees, as we find out, are enslaved, whereas the Lasats are wiped out. I mean, to JC's point, um, you know, perhaps the Empire realized that, you know, they weren't going to be quite as um, potentially docile or easily controlled as, as say, the Wookiees. Yeah, you know, I, I always, my first impression right, of, uh, of Zeb and Lasat is the, um, the species kind of reminds me of Klingons a little bit. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just sort of the double electro electroblade thing, but there's something very sort of warrior about Zeb. He's a fighter, and of course he's he's definitely um, he's definitely very very skilled as a skilled warrior, and and uh, has seen a lot of action. But there's just something about about that race that seems very very tough. I think actually Wookies are even more sophisticated, and since they still, I mean. You know what? I guess we just don't know. We don't know enough about the species. We don't know know enough about the history. That's why this episode was so great, because we got to understand a little bit more about Zeb. He's a mystery, which is kind of nice. He's that brooding character that we we slowly get to peel back the layers and find out what makes this person and what makes this species the way that they are. And I can't wait to find out about more i want to i want to know more about this not just that they're wiped out but what was their culture all about you know that was one fun things about next generation is that you got to you know through wharf you got to find out more about the klingon culture like you did in star trek six you know not not to talk about the track jimmy too much yeah, but, uh, careful, but careful. careful. Yeah, he celebrates all the tricks. Uh, careful. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just, I'm just teasing. But you get, you get to find out more about these cultures and create a culture around the show as the show progresses. And I just, I can't wait to find out uh, more. I mean, look at how much we learned about Wookies through Episode Three, right? right? And and the Star Wars Holiday Special. Well, it's also very convenient <laughs> because you might say, you might say, <laughs> do you hear him sneak that I, in? I got that. Yeah. I got okay. That. All right. Okay. <laughs> just Holiday <move laughs> Special. Might say, I hear you. Uh, but but I, I I think it's also you know kind of convenient because I can hear people saying to Dave Filoni, well, why don't we see the Lasats in the uh, in the original trilogy? Yeah, they were wiped out. It's the only one. <laughs> So, I mean, now he's got the perfect excuse why there's only Zeb or, you know, you know, very few. They're very rare. They're not like uh, hammerheads, which uh, you saw walking around quite a bit in uh, in the Clone Wars. But um, uh, Jim, uh, we kind of get a little bit more information about Callus. Um, and even though he spells it with a K, mm-hmm. you might say that he's it's a double entendre. Talk about a Callus guy. Now, this guy. There's more than meets the eye. He's not, I mean, we, we might want to hate him, but he's not just some, you know, pencil-pushing uh, imperial thug. This guy can ball. He can fight, and he can fight and actually best Zeb at his own game. How about it? How about it? That was a, a great battle between the two. You know, it was excellent one-on-one action there, really well choreographed, and you, you really felt the blows. And that's oh, what, yeah. you know, that's what great animation does is it, provides weight to the objects you're seeing on the screen. Those are drawings. So how do you make them feel heavy? And, and these punches felt heavy coming from Zeb and going back and forth between him and Callus. I like that Callus revealed to Zeb that he was there and he was the one who ordered 
the weapon to be used on his people. Because now Zeb has a clear-cut face to put to the crime, and he is going to be constantly hunting Callus. And their, their, their paths will cross, and it'll be at times, I'm sure, when like a mission will be on the line. And Zeb will have to make a decision between following through with his mission or seeking revenge by going after Callus because the guy is there. So it's going to be really interesting mm-hmm. and exciting, mm-hmm. if you ask me, to watch this this rocky relationship between Zeb and Callus, this rivalry grow. It's going to be a classic rivalry, and I, I may the best man win. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I, I like w- what you're saying about you know will this um, will this change Zeb's commitment to the to the various missions? Is he now going to be singularly focused at uh, chasing down and making Callus pay? Exactly, uh, exactly. That's, that's, and it yeah. could be a distraction that pops up at the worst possible times. Right, and Callus clearly wanted him to know. You know, it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, he didn't have to do any detective work. Callus came right out and told him. No, he's gloating. Right. Right. It just makes so his character see- so much more despicable. It makes you pull for Zeb so much more. The way they're executing these characters on this show, they, they hit you in your core nervous system like classic Star Wars characters do. Almost right out of the gate. You're, you're hating Callus. You're pulling for Zeb. You want the underdogs to win. So that's what is – see, these are the intangible things that are coming together in Rebels that might not have been so obvious in Star Wars productions over the last few years. It's very obvious in this show. Yes, absolutely. And then we have the force push heard around the galaxy, uh, yes. JC, as, uh, <laughs> as Ezra is ironically the, the one that – who was fighting and feuding with Zeb throughout the whole episode. He's the one that saves him. Uh, Kanan's tied up with the walkers, uh, and the rest are all tied up, but he's the one that sees his, um, his comrade in distress and reacts. I, do you think he knew what he was doing at all? Do you think he had some experience with this, or was it just raw emotion? You know, it kind of struck me as uh, he almost surprised himself. And, you know, I think it's also, you know, he's had problems with Zeb before, but uh, it's almost like, you know, a big brother and a little brother at this point on the ghost. And, uh, you know, Ezra was an orphan, I think, right? He lived in that little thing all by himself. I I get the feeling he was kind of like, it was just him scrounging to get by for himself. And now he's had a week, two weeks with this family unit. And uh, it's kind of like, well, I can, I I can mess with Zeb. I can give him a hard time. He can give me a hard time. But nobody else better give him a hard time. And, uh, you know, when somebody was, when his his family member was in peril, I think it just blasted out of his dark side, raw emotion self. Mm. Yeah. Uh, undisciplined, untrained, that kind of power can... Uh you know, uh, as as Yoda says, the dark side, not more powerful, quicker, easier, um, ready to assist you in a fight. And that's kind of, you know, I don't want to say he's using dark side power, but, you know, that that kind of raw use of, of mm-hmm. the force could very easily be uh, uh, to be that just that coming from the dark side. Um, 
David, so at the very end, where are we? We've got uh, Bail Organa. And I, and I, I actually felt that there was very little um, gap between the Bail Organa that we left in the Clone Wars and the Bail Organa that we meet uh, on Rebels. I felt that it was a very seamless transition. He's been standing in that hallway for 20 years. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I just did uh, so many meetings. Everyone just walks up to me and tells me something. And then I yeah, they walk. Yeah, right. That's all the guy I does. The, I walk around the L of this, of this L-shaped hallway and then someone else stops me. And then I realize I got to go back. And that's just been his whole life. Just trying to figure out, you know, uh, well, yeah, I've, 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 he's a busy man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it was a smooth transition and. And one of the things that excited me about that scene was that we don't really know how Mon Mothma and Bail Organa and all that kind of stuff plays into these small little groups like what we saw um, on Onderon and the Onderon arc in the Clone Wars season mm. five, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that, right. that was... Right, Forgot about them, yeah. You have all of these, these... In other words, there are a lot of people resisting locally here and there. How do those things come together under the watchful eye of the the empire right or uh i guess it's the um what are they called the imperial security bureau right Right, how does this happen right under their noses how does this happen right underneath the nose of the senate how many like-minded people how do you speak in code in order to make sure that it's safe because if you're a traitor it's life or death right so but at this point He's probably collecting all kinds of information in order to try and organize something, but it's very, very dangerous business. Even his own daughter is uh, is playing a double uh, a double identity game until we meet her at the beginning of episode four. I am on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. No, you're part of the Rebel Alliance and you're a traitor. Take her away, right? right. So like, everyone has to be very, very careful. They're all... They're all playing along, presumably, you know, you know, yay, hail to the hail to the emperor, you know, but really in secret, they're gathering information. And that's what's so exciting. And I want to see more of that. I think that was Phil Lamar, by the way. As yeah. Yes, it was. So in yeah. this episode, we actually had two Clone Wars actors returning. We had Anthony Daniels, of course, and uh, we had Phil Lamar coming back to play the voice of oh, Bill. Oh, I, th- I thought it was very, very close to the, yeah. to the original voice. Great, great stuff. And... Time will tell. And that's just the first episode. We're only one episode deep. We could talk all night about this stuff. It's amazing. And I, what I love about this is that even though some may be cynical and say, oh, they threw in the cameos right away, I don't see these as cameos, actually. I don't see this as stunt casting. I see this as connecting the dots. As uh, David mentioned, you've got all these pockets of resistance and... It's going to be Bail Organa. It's going to be Mon Mothma. It's going to be some of these figures that we met in the original trilogy or heard of in the original trilogy and that were expounded upon in the prequel trilogy. It's going to be them connecting the dots and creating the Rebel Alliance. That's what we wanted. That's what it's all about. The show's called Rebels. 
So I'm I, I'm all for it. Great stuff, guys. Great to have you uh, have you all with us. Uh, JC Reifenberg, uh, use the force and the comlink. Uh, JC, folks, if they want to catch up with you and hear more from you, what's the best way they can do that? Are you on the Twitter or anything? Yeah, I got the Twitter. It's at Reifenberg, which is spelled like my last name. And, um, you know, I'm always floating around the Comlink Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the Comlink. The Comlink. The Comlink. The Comlink. All right. Well, JC, great to have you back with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And uh, Dave Collins, always nice to have you with us. And if folks want to hear your musings on things like Star Wars and this, that, and the other. Where's the best place for folks to uh, follow you? Well, of course, just like JC, there's always the comm link, and then there's, of course, Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams, which is doing that. Uh, we talk a lot about the music of John Williams, new episode, new volume, I should say, coming uh, very, very soon. And uh, yeah, at David W. Collins on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to chat with you all about the wars. Wow. We're going to have you back very soon. There's going to be lots of wars to talk about, that's for sure. But for now, final thoughts, Jimmy Mack. All right, Jason, final thoughts on droids in distress. I thought it was a fun episode, just like everyone else. I really enjoyed the pacing, the action, and the, you know, it's a very straightforward plot in these shows. Um, Some might complain that that's, uh, you know, kind of like cotton candy. But uh, I'll take it any day because, uh, to me, that represents uh, a lot of what may have been missing from Star Wars is uh, a little bit of cotton candy. We're certainly getting a lot of that uh, here in Star Wars Rebels. Of course, uh, the, the Easter egg of the episode is uh, the Macquarie Jedi General concept riding behind Sabine on the Star Tours bus. I don't know if you guys caught that. That guy also made a cameo uh, in Tarkintown. Back in uh, Spark. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thought I thought uh, spotted that guy. Looks so, uh, familiar. Also, yep, yep, definitely. He, uh, he he was a concept for a Jedi general uh, made into a Hasbro action figure back in uh, 2007, 2008. And uh, I, I think they may have called him a Han Solo concept, too. It's gone through a lot of different names. But there he was on the bus. Um we're getting exposed to some new uh, Star Wars profanity here in uh, Rebels. Uh, Zeb is uh, very fond of using the phrase or the term carabast. Carabast when he's uh, he was freaked out by uh, the contents of that trunk holding those weapons, and he stepped back and said carabast. I think I caught him saying that in Spark of Rebellion too. So, a lot of uh, syllables for uh, for a swear word. Carabast. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Um, who's Criffin County? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, R2 was definitely on a secret mission here in this episode that might have gotten by a few people. Uh, I, I don't think I even really picked up on it until the uh, maybe the third time I saw this uh, actual episode. Because, you know, they throw those classic lines at you. And you're not really sure. Is like, are they just doing that to pander me as a Star Wars fan? But no, they don't do that. It actually has something to do with the overall plot. So I think that's cool. And uh, we, we should respect the dialogue of the show a little bit more and really 
analyze everything that comes out of these characters' mouths because it could be a, a key plot point that we might miss because it just flies by you so fast. And of course, you know, the pacing of the show is really cool that way, too, and I like it. Um, my big question about this episode is what will be the repercussions of Bale seeing the info recorded about the Rebels by R2? Will he help them in the future? Will it be in a covert way, or will he be a little more obvious in his desire to aid them? Because he knows by helping them, he's also helping himself. And I think that we're going to see a relationship grow between these two factions of society, the, the Rebels of Lothal and Bail Organa, Imperial Senator. All in all, a, a fantastic episode, especially uh, impressive to see the Rage of Zeb on full display. And like I said before, I'm interested to see where the relationship between him and Callus is going to go. So, great episode, Jason. So much fun talking to you guys about it this time on Star Wars Rebels. We'll be back next week to talk about Fighter Fighter Fight. I believe is the name of the episode. It's already out there on the Disney XD app, so check it out now and then join us next week on Star Wars Rebels the Classic. That's all she wrote for Rebel Force Radio. Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember The Force will be with you always. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> We barely got it in. Oh, I started hearing the music. On the outro. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't have a sign-off. I used to always say Newt Gunray, not in this episode. I don't have that right now. So I, well, don't, I can't yeah, stop you, myself. <laughs> but, but it's too soon. Like, you, you know, it will, the sign-off will choose you. You won't choose the sign Well, that, that's how it has to happen. That's how it has to happen. But until then... Yeah, random character. Maybe it's going to be that Jedi general. Oh, my <laughs> concept God. concept guy that's showing up in every episode now. <laughs> but until then, I'm just like the bus in speed, man. I got no brakes. <laughs> <laughs>